Hey family, thank you so much for joining us here on our YouTube channel. We pray that this sermon touches your heart and changes your life, that you and I would all be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. And hey, if you wanna to continue to see more word like this and help us get this message of truth, this message of Jesus out to a hurting world. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. I wanna encourage you to be one of our truth partners. And you can do that by texting truth partner, one word, to 53555 today. And help us get this message of truth out to so many broken people. You and I and the whole world simply need Jesus. We love you. Thank you for being a truth partner. We'll see you back here on the channel real soon. Subscribe, ring that bell for future notifications. God bless you. Well, hey, I am honored today to have with us um, the one and only Dr. Gary Chapman. And he flew in and I had the privilege of uh, just spending some time with him at dinner last night. And his books have absolutely shaped my life, and I know they've shaped uh, many of yours. And I would like you to get on your feet as he comes and help me uh, just give him a great January warm Minnesota creative church welcome. And let him know how much we love him. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And please be seated. You may be seated. I, I just want to take just three or four moments before uh, he ministers uh, the word of the Lord to us and just uh, take some time and ask him just a couple of questions because I thought, oh my goodness, Dr. Chapman's coming. I've got to ask him a question or two and, and learn. Could be dangerous. <laughs> and learn from him. Uh, but... You know, as, as a parent, and uh, my wife and I have just kind of thrown everything we have into parenting. Uh, we just came out with our, our first book called Raising Parents. And uh, I just th thought I've got to, to learn and glean from you as it relates to parenting. And we were talking a little bit about this uh, last night at dinner. But what is the, the age or uh, what season do you... Uh, recommend that we can begin to uh, sense or see or really develop uh, our children's love language? I think you can discover a child's love language by the time that they're four years old. Yeah, could be a little before, could be a little after, but by simply observing their behavior, how do they express love to you and other people? Uh, my son's language, for example, is physical touch. When he was that age, when I would come home from work, he'd run to the door and grab my legs and climb on me. Yeah. He's touching me because he wants to be touched. Our daughter never did that. At that age, she would say, Daddy, come to my room. I want to show you something. Quality time was her language. So it's there. It's there very early in a child's life. So we've got to look for that, and it's already there. We can begin to see it. I mean, because, you know, having eight, I've got 18-year-olds down to three-year-olds, so I've got... You know, some that are, you know, hey, can I get your car keys? Others that are clinging onto my leg and dragging <laughs> them across the floor. Uh, but as, you know, my wife and I, we were asking him last night because we have teenagers. And how many of you have teenagers at home? 
Yeah, I often say teenagers are homeless people that you have living in your house. <laughs> so my oldest turned 18, so I have a legal homeless person in my, my house right now. But, <laughs> but what, are, what is just some advice that, that you could give us um, uh, that have teenagers or will have teenagers um, to keep them uh, close to the Lord and to keep the relationship uh, closer than ever as we walk through those teenage years? I think we have to become better listeners. Teenagers are beginning to develop logical thought. Now, don't hear me saying they're logical. I said they're beginning to develop logical thought. And that's why they question things that you've taught them in the past. And, they, and, and, and sometimes we say, well, do you know that's not right? And, da, 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 and we preach to them. Far better, let them share. Ask them questions. Where did you get that idea? What do you think about that? You know, just ask questions. Because if they sense that you are treating them like a human and are interested in what their thoughts and their feelings are, they're far more likely to stay engaged with you through the journey of those teenage years. But if you just, you know, come down and don't let them talk and share things that differ from your thoughts and ideas then they won't share with you. They'll just, they'll just kind of clam up and, and, live, and go somewhere else to look for help. Yeah. So giving them the opportunity to ask the questions yeah. and, and to really listen, and that is hard. That's, that is hard to do, isn't yep. it? You're right. You're right. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially with some of the ideas that come up with. <laughs> you're, like, you're going, okay, and then you're inside, you're panicking, you know. Yeah. But um, uh, one last question. One last question. Um, how important do you think, you know, there's so many things pulling on people, yeah. so many things pulling for their weekend, pulling for their time, uh, phones and, and, and even TV, just how important do you think it is that we're making that time daily uh, to connect to our children in their relationship with the Lord? Yeah. And how important do you think the local church or the part the local church plays in helping us um, raise our children to love Jesus? Yeah. Well, I think on the home front, I really believe one of the most significant things we can do is to have a daily time with the family sits down and we talk about spiritual things as well as other things, but there's a family talk so that the kids realize, you know, you can ask anything you want to in our, in our family and we're, going, we're talking about Christ at home. I think that's really, really important. Uh, and I think the church is an asset, a tremendous asset for that because now at the church, they're hearing other people you know, talk to them about God and about Christ and some of the things that you're saying at home, and, and they realize, oh, this is more than just my family. This, 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 it, God has a big family here. So, yeah, I think the church is, is a, a, a key issue in terms of raising our children. And I had a chance to, uh, at dinner last night, you mentioned um, that you've been a part of the same ministry and ministering there for how many years? Fifty years. Fifty years. To God be the glory. Come on. Amen. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Thank today. you. Thank you so much. And uh, let's, let's pray. And then uh, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? I want to pray over you before he ministers to us. Father, I thank you uh, for Dr. Chapman, and I thank you for the word of God that he's going to share with us today. I thank you for sending him here to us. I ask that our heart would be open to receive all that you have for us. I ask that our, our hearts, Lord, would be, uh, would be soft and moldable and pliable in your presence, and that we would all be conformed to be more like Jesus. 
Let us have the marriages and the families that you have for us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise, and let's welcome Dr. Chapman here to Creative Church. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, what a delight to be here and uh, seeing all these people baptized. Wasn't that wonderful? Absolutely incredible. I asked somebody behind the scenes, I said, how many people are being baptized today? They said, I think a total of 43 or something. I said, "Woo, man, that's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, I want to talk to you today about the most important word in the English language and the most confusing word in the English language. I say that love is the most important word because in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now here's the new part. As I have loved you, you love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by the way you love each other. In other words, he gave the non-Christian world the right to judge whether or not we're true followers of Jesus by the way we love each other. That makes it an important word. But I say that love is the most confusing word because we use the word love in a thousand ways. We say, for example, I love hot dogs. And in North Carolina, where I live, we say, I love barbecue. And in North Carolina, that's always pork barbecue. Then I hear people say, oh, I love the mountains. I love the beach. I love my new car. I love my dog. And then we say to a special someone, I love you. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Hot dogs and barbecue and you. I'm not going to talk about a thousand ways that we use the word love. I'm going to talk only about three ways that we use the word love, and I'm going to focus on the third of these. I want to begin with talking about what we typically call falling in love. I doubt that you've ever heard a lecture about falling in love. In our country, if you want to learn about falling in love, you have to listen to country music. Because they're falling in love or out of love, every other song. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I do believe uh, that we need to th hear a few things about this experience of falling in love. Because in our culture, we've so exalted this, and we've always, almost made it, you know, the thing that's going to give you a life, happy life forever, if you're really in love. Well, this kind of love begins with a feeling. I sometimes call it the tingles. You meet this person, there's something about the way they look, the way they talk, the way they emote that just gives you a warm, bubbly feeling inside. And you want to be, see them again and again and again. And every time you get together, it gets stronger and stronger. And it literally becomes an emotional obsession. You can't get them off your mind in the height of that experience. You go to bed thinking about them. You wake up thinking about them. All day long you think about them. They are the most wonderful person you've ever met in your life. Now, your mother can see their flaws, <laughs> but you can't. Your mother will say, well, now, honey, have you considered? They haven't had a steady job in five years. <laughs> and you'll say, oh, mama, they're just waiting for the right opportunity. 
But here, here's the other thing. I was always told that if, you, that if, you, if you've got the real thing, it's going to last forever. And that's not true. We've studied this in love experience. The average lifespan of that euphoric state is two years. Some a little longer, some a little less. Average two years, and we come down off the high. Now, let's be glad we come down off the high. Because if we didn't, you'd have to close down business, industry, church, education. You, you can't do much when you're in love. <laughs> so we come down. And I wish someone had told me that. Because my wife and I dated two years before we got married. And I came down pretty soon after the honeymoon. <laughs> and everything my mother told me about her was true. <laughs> and I'm sure what her mother told her about me was true. And, and we found that we disagreed on a bunch of stuff. And we argued because we didn't know how to solve conflicts. We, we didn't think we'd have any conflicts when you're in love. And, and so we, we ended up arguing with each other because I knew I was right. She knew she was right. We tried to convince each other. I remember one night we were in the middle of an argument. It was pouring down rain outside. In the middle of the argument, my wife walked out the front door, slammed the door, and walked out in the rain. And I thought to myself, this is bad. <laughs> when a woman walks in the rain, it's bad. I, I just wish someone had told me, you know, that, that I would come down off the high. It was normal. It was natural. I should expect it. And I wish they'd also taught me a little bit about respecting each other's ideas so that we could learn how to process our conflicts without arguing. Because, you know, if you win an argument with your spouse, they lost. No fun to live with a loser. Why would you create one? Folks, we're on the same team. We're not, we're not against each other. All right, well, people have asked me if this is in the Bible, and it is. It's in the Song of Solomon, the book we don't read in church. <laughs> this is chapter 4. Here's a woman in love. Here's what she says. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Line up 10,000 men. He'll stand out above all of them. And she goes on to describe his head, his hair, his eyes, and his cheeks. And she goes through the whole thing. And she ends up saying, he is altogether lovely. This is my lover. Yeah. And then here's a man. This is chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That's pretty contemporary. <laughs> And he goes on to describe her body, and then he says, All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That's the way you talk when you're in love. That's the way you feel when you're in love. So, yeah, it's in the Bible. I think it was there for Adam and Eve. I think when Adam saw Eve, he, ooh, he just had this feeling, ooh, which is what I've been wanting, waiting for. Yeah. But let's just, let's just recognize for what it is. It's wonderful. I'm not opposed to falling in love. It's wonderful, but it, it's not the foundation for, for a lifetime of marriage, okay? All right. The second way that we use the word love that I want to talk about is love as an attitude. That doesn't do much for you, does it? An attitude is a fixed way of thinking. And the attitude of love is I'm in our relationship to do everything I can to enrich your life, to help you become the person that you believe God wants you to be. It's the same attitude in Philippians chapter 2 
It says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was God, he did not demand his rights as God, but he emptied himself and became a man. And when he got on level ground with us, he stepped down even further to death on a cross. Let this attitude be in you. That's the attitude of love. And here's the good news. We choose our attitude. We don't choose our feelings. You don't get up one morning and say, I think I'll go fall in love today. No, 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 no. You, you don't choose that. It, it just happens. And all of our other emotions are just responses to what's happening in our lives. We don't choose our emotions, but we do choose our attitude. And we choose it every single day. And we, we either live with an attitude of love, not just in marriage and family, but in terms of everybody else we, we impact. If we have an attitude of love, our thought is every morning when we get up and we begin to face the day, Lord, I want to, to impact positively the lives of everybody that I meet today. I want to treat them with dignity and respect, and I want to do whatever I can to help them become the person you want them to become. It's an attitude of love. The opposite of that is an attitude of selfishness where we approach all of life in terms of what am I getting out of it. Yeah. And, so, and, you, and this is real popular today because you, you, you hear people say in a marriage relationship, you're, my, you're not making me happy and I'm out of here. See, their attitude is selfishness. I'm in this marriage for you to make me happy. I was happy when we were in love. I'm not happy now. I'm out of here. And they go find somebody else. They fall in love with somebody else and start the whole thing over. But that's not the answer. Second marriages, the divorce rate's higher than first marriages. The answer's learning, learning, and, and having an attitude of love. So uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll leave it there, but uh, I'll come back to that maybe later. But uh, it's so important, our attitude. But I want, what I want to focus on is, is this, this way we use the word love. And that is love as an emotional need. I like to picture inside every child, there's an emotional love tank. And if the love tank is full, that is, the child genuinely feels loved by the parents, the child tends to grow up emotionally healthy. But if the love tank is empty and the child does not feel loved by the parents, the child will grow up with many internal emotional struggles and in the teenage years will likely go looking for love in all the wrong places. But I believe that adults also have an emotional love tank. And if you're married, the person you would most like to love you is your spouse. In fact, if you feel loved by your spouse, life is beautiful. But if the love tank is empty, life begins to look pretty dark. So what I want to talk about is how do you keep the love tank full in a marriage after you come down off the high? And the difficulty in doing that is we have made the assumption that what makes one person feel loved will make another person feel loved. And that's a false assumption. I'll never forget the first day I encountered this many years ago. A couple came into my office. I'd never met them. We sat down. The wife started talking immediately. She said, Dr. Chapman, before we start, let me just tell you a little bit about us. She said, uh, we don't argue. We don't believe in arguing. We don't have any money problems. She said, I was reading an article that said money's the biggest problem in marriage. She said, not for us. And she went on with two or three more positive things. And I was beginning to wonder, did they come in here to tell me what a good marriage they have? <laughs> but then she started crying. And she said, but Dr. Chapman, the problem is 
I just don't feel any love coming from him. We're like roommates living in the same house. We're civil. He does his thing. I do my thing. There's nothing going on between us. And I feel so empty inside. And I don't know how long I can go on like this. Well, I looked over to her husband, and he said, I don't understand her. I do everything I can to show her that I love her. She sits there and tells you what she's been telling me. She doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I said, well, what do you do to show your love to her? He said, well, I get home from work before she does, so I start the evening meal. And he said, sometimes I have it ready when she gets home. If not, she'll help me. And then we eat. And he said, after we eat, he said, I wash the dishes. And he said, every Thursday night, I vacuum the floor. And on Saturday, I wash the car, I mow the grass, I help her with the laundry. And he went on, and I was beginning to wonder, what does this woman do? <laughs> Sounded to me like he was doing everything. And he said, I do all of that. And she sits there and says she doesn't feel loved. He said, I don't know what else to do. I looked back at her, and she started crying again. And she said, Dr. Chapman, he's right. He's a hard-working man. But we don't ever talk. We haven't talked in 20 years. He's always mowing the grass, washing the dishes, baby. <laughs> you understand what's going on? A sincere husband who is doing everything he knows to do to show his wife that he loves her and a wife who doesn't get it emotionally. And after that, I heard similar stories over and over in my office. And I knew there had to be a pattern to what I was hearing but I didn't know what it was. But eventually I took time to sit down and read several years of notes that I made when I was counseling and asked myself the question, when someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And their answers fell into five categories. And I later called them the five love languages. And I started using that in my counseling. If you want her to feel love, you've got to learn to express love in her language. If you want him to feel love, you've got to learn to express love in his language. And I would help couples discover their love language, challenge them to go home and try it, and sometimes they would come back in three weeks and say, Gary, this is, this is changing things. I mean, the climate is different between us now. And then I started using it with small, small groups of couples, just teaching the concept, and the same thing would happen. Probably five years later, I thought, you know, if I could put this concept in a book and write it in the language of the common person, maybe I could help a lot of couples that I would never have time to see in my office. Little did I know that that book would sell now over 20 million copies, be published in over 60 languages around the world. The book's been out now for 30 years, and every year it keeps selling more than the year before. That doesn't happen to books. And people have asked me, Gary, how do you explain that? And I say, well, from my perspective, the short answer is God, and the long answer is God. I couldn't make it happen if I wanted to make it happen. But I think what's happened on the human level is couples read the book, the lights come on, they see how they've been missing each other, 
They take the quiz. They learn each other's language. They start speaking the right language. The love tank fills up. And then they want their brother and his wife to read it, their sister and her husband. It's just gone word of mouth all over the world. So I want to share for you, with you the five love languages. If you've read the book, it'll be a review. If you haven't read the book, it'll be an introduction. And this concept applies not only in marriage. It applies in parent-child relationships. It applies in adult-child and their parent relationships. It applies in work relationships. It applies in friendships and dating relationships. In every human relationship, if it's a close relationship, this concept will help you. All right. So these are in no particular order. And incidentally, all of these are found in the Bible, which leads me to say, if you discover something in social research, if it's true, it'll be validated in the Bible. Uh, so these are in no particular order. Uh, but first one, number one is words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. Using words to affirm the other person. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Verse 1, love edifies, love builds up. So one way to express love is to use words that build up the other person. You look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. You know, one of the things I like about you is just simply looking for things that you can affirm. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can kill people by the way you talk to them. You can kill a relationship by the way you talk to the other person. Or you can give them life. And love chooses to give life by looking for things you can affirm. Now, I had a lady who said to me some time ago, she said, Gary, I know it would be good if I could give my husband some positive words. But to be honest with you, I can't think of anything good to say about the man. <laughs> and I said, well, does he ever take a shower? She said, well, yes. I said, how often? She said, well, every day. I said, if I were you, I'd start there. I said, there are men who don't. I've never met a man, never met a woman, never met a boy or girl that you couldn't find something good to say about them. And for some people, this is what I call their primary love language. This is the one that really communicates to them emotionally. Number two is gifts. Gifts. It's universal to give gifts as an expression of love. You know, my academic background before I studied counseling and theology was cultural anthropology. I did an undergrad and a master's. Studying cultures all over the world and how they're organized. We've never found a culture anywhere in the world where gift giving is not an expression of love. It's universal. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 25, it says to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, listen, and gave himself for it. The greatest gift we have from Jesus is he gave his life for us. And so uh, James chapter 1 and verse 17 says, all good gifts come down from the Father of lights. God's a gift-giving God. And so as humans, we reflect his image when we give gifts to the other person. And the gifts don't have to be expensive. Haven't we always said it's the thought that counts? But it's not the thought left in your head that counts. It's the gift that came out of the thought in your head, okay? You know, guys, you can get flowers free, even in Minnesota, in the spring and summer. Go out in your front yard and pick one. That's what your kids do. How many mothers have ever received a dandelion from your kids? Yeah, yeah. Now, if you don't have any flowers in your yard, check out your neighbor's yard. 
I don't mean steal them. I mean say, my wife likes those flowers. Can I give you $5 for that? I guarantee your neighbor's going to say, oh, man, I don't want your money. Take the flower. Or you could go to a funeral. I did that not long ago. I was out at the cemetery. Service was over. Family was leaving. There was flowers on the casket. And as some of the flower members were leaving, they were pulling out a rose to take with them. And one of them said to me, Dr. Chapman, would you like to have a rose? I said, I certainly would. Thank you. Took that thing home, gave it to my, mo- my wife. <laughs> Not my mother. <laughs> my mother's in heaven. Gave it to my wife. <laughs> I told her where I got it. She still liked it. <laughs> you can pick up a stone in a city parking lot and take it home and give it to an eight-year-old boy and say, hey, man, I found this today, and I thought about you. I wanted you to have it. Look at the colors in this man. If gifts is his love language, you'll find that stone in his dresser drawer when he's 23, and he will remember the day you gave it to him. For some people, gifts is their language. Number three, acts of service. Acts of service. Doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. Love not only in words, but in deeds. Do something to show your love. You remember the old saying, actions speak louder than words? If this is their love language, that's true. It's not true for everyone. But if this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. Now, in a marriage, I'm talking about such things as washing dishes. Who does that at your place? Yeah, wash his dishes. Y'all got a lot of dirty dishes. Uh, <laughs> cooking a meal, which incidentally is a huge act of service, cooking a meal. I- incidentally, anybody here still cook? Yeah, yeah, some of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, vacuuming the floors, an act of service. Who does that? Yeah, walking the dog is an act of service. Changing the baby's diaper. Woo, big act of service. <laughs> Anything that you know the other person would like for you to do. Uh, so acts of service for some people, this is their love language. Number four is quality time, quality time, giving the person your undivided attention. Mark chapter three, verse 14 says of Jesus, he ordained 12. We call them the 12 disciples. Listen that he might be with them and then send them forth to preach. Jesus taught multitudes. He spent quality time with 12 men. Can you imagine what it was like for those 12 men hanging out with Jesus day and night for three and a half years? He would speak to multitudes, and that night they would say, what did you mean by this? What did you mean by that? And Man, They had his undivided attention, walking from city to city, talking with him. So quality time is giving the other person your undivided attention. In a marriage, I'm not talking about sitting there together watching television. Someone else has your attention. TV is off. Computer's down. Not answering the phone. You have my undivided attention. When I do my marriage seminars on Saturdays, I encourage couples Why not have a daily sit down and listen time to each other? 
maybe just 15 minutes, but tell me two or three things that happened in your life today and how you feel about those things. And, and we're just sharing life with each other. The, the woman that said we don't ever talk, she didn't mean they didn't discuss logistics, who's going to pick up the kids today or which restaurant you want to go to. She didn't mean that. She meant we don't ever sit down and look at each other and give our undivided attention and talk and listen to each other. She was begging for quality time. So for some people, this is their primary language. And can I just throw this in? If you're having a conversation with one of your children and your cell phone rings and you answer the cell phone, you've just communicated to that child, somebody out there is more important than you. I know that's not what we're thinking, but that's, what, that's the message they get. And incidentally, the same thing is true if you're talking with your spouse and your cell phone rings and you answer. You know what your spouse is going to do? You know, walk, out of the, walk out of the room. Conversation's over. Lost that one. Look, folks, that's what voicemail's all about. Let it go to voicemail. You can call them back. Okay, well, excuse me. A little, little sidetrack there. Quality time. Number five is physical touch. We've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love by touch. Now, in marriage, I'm talking about such things as holding hands and kissing and embracing and arm around the shoulder and sitting around the house. They walk by, you trip them. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't, don't, don't trip your spouse. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, Jesus was speaking to a multitude. People started bringing their little children to Jesus, and the disciples rebuked the parents. No, 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 no. This is for adults. Jesus rebuked his disciples and said, Hey, guys, let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And the next verse says he put his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus touched people. Everywhere he went, he was touching people. So physical touch is a powerful way of communicating love. Now, listen to me carefully. Out of those five love languages, each of us, married or single, young or old, each of us has what I call a primary love language. One of these five speaks more deeply to us emotionally than the other four. Now, we're not going to turn away any one of them. We, it's fine. We will receive any one of them. But if we don't receive love in our love language, we won't feel loved, even though the person speaking some of those other languages. So it's our primary love language. And let me just throw this in, because a lot of men will hear what I've said so far, and they will say to themselves, I know my love language, physical touch, physical touch, physical touch. <laughs> And they're thinking about the sexual part of marriage. And I say, well, now maybe that's true, but let me ask you a question. Do non-sexual touches make you feel loved? And they look at me like a deer in the headlights. Are there non-sexual touches? <laughs> I say, let's say that you get out of your car, you're walking into a store, and your wife reaches over and holds your hand as you walk into the store. Does that make you feel loved? And if he says, mm, no, that kind of irritates me. I said, well, let's say that she's pouring you a cup of coffee and she puts her hand on your shoulder. Does that make you feel loved? And if he says, not really. I said, physical touch is not your language, okay? I understand your desires, but that's not your language, okay? <laughs> Don't assume that. Uh, these are not gender specific. A man can have any one of the five. A woman can have any one of the five as a primary love language. Then, almost never 
Does the husband and wife speak the same love language? Does happen, but not very often. And even if they do speak the same language, they will likely have different dialects within that language. For example, a wife said to me, she said, Gary, my, my husband and I have the same love language. I said, wonderful. What is it? She said, acts of service. But the things I want him to do for me to make me feel loved are different from the things he wants me to do for him to make him feel loved. Okay, same language, just different dialects. Okay? By nature, we speak our own language. If you don't know anything about love languages and you're expressing love, just by nature, you will speak to others what you would like to receive. It's what I did. Before I came down off the high, in the early stages of our marriage, when I still had those feelings, I would give my wife words of affirmation. I knew nothing about love languages, but I would tell her how nice she looked, how much I appreciated what she did. I probably told her a dozen times a day, I love you, honey. I'm so glad I married you. I love you, love you, love you. <laughs> and one day she said to me, you keep on saying, I love you. If you love me, why don't you help me? And I said, what, what do you mean? She said, well, you don't ever offer to wash the dishes or vacuum the floors or clean the toilet. I mean, you don't offer to do anything. I was in graduate school and seminary studying to be a pastor. <sighs> and I said, I didn't say this, but what I thought, what are you talking about? My mama did those things. <laughs> Yeah, we expect our wives to do what our mama did. I like to say to the guys, you're not married to your mama. And you gals are not married to your daddy. You don't expect him to do everything your daddy did. You know? So, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> by nature, we speak our own language. See, looking back on that, I knew nothing about love languages in those days. But looking back on that, I was doing for her what I wish she was doing for me, and it wasn't connecting with her. See? So, so the, obviously the answer is we must learn to speak the love language of the other person. I say learn because if their love language, their, their primary language is something you didn't receive as a child, there's going to be a learning curve. I had a man say to me, he said, Gary, my, wife's, my wife and I read your book. They we took the quiz. Her language is words of affirmation. I don't know how to do that. He said, I never received any words, positive words growing up. All I was ever told, I was lazy. I would never amount to anything and all that stuff. And he said, I don't know how to say positive words. I said, well, you are where you are. Folks, we can't change our history. I said, but here's the good news. You can learn to speak this language as an adult. I said, for example, tell me three things that your wife is good at. He said, well, she's a good cook. She's a good school teacher. And she's a good mother. I wrote those things down. And out beside of them, I wrote two or three sentences. Like on the cooking, I said something like this. Honey, I haven't told you this but I really appreciate all the meals you cook. You're a wonderful cook. Just two or three sentences out beside each one of them. I said, now here's your assignment. This week, every day this week, twice a day, I want you to get in a room by yourself and read these out loud so you hear yourself saying these words. And I said, I hope by the end of the week, when you come back to see me next week, I hope 
that you can say them without looking at your notes, okay? He came back. I said, well, can you say them? And he did. I said, now here's your assignment. The next three weeks, I want you to give your wife one of these each week. I don't care what day of the week, but just somewhere in that week you give her one. He said, well, I'll try. He came back. I said, well, did you do it? He said, yeah. I said, how'd your wife respond? He said, well, on the third week, she said to me, what's going on with you? I have never heard you give me so many compliments. I said, what did you say? He said, well, I just told her, honey, you know, we read that book, and your language is words of affirmation, and so I'm just trying to learn how to communicate my love to you in words. And she said, oh, honey, that is so wonderful. (laughs) Folks, listen, we can learn to speak these languages. So... How do we discover our love language? Well, I mentioned earlier when we were talking with Pastor here is one, observe the behavior of the other person because they're typically speaking their own language. But secondly, what do they complain about? What do you complain about? The complaint reveals the love language. If your spouse says, I just feel like we never spend any time together anymore. They're telling you quality time is their language. If they say, I don't think you would ever touch me if I didn't initiate it. They're telling you physical touch is their language. So what do they, what do they complain about? And then also, what do they request most often? Our daughter, when she was in the, a teenager, her most common request was, Daddy, can we take a walk after dinner? She's asking me for quality time. Two of us just walking and talking together. So what do they request? You put those three things together, observe their behavior, what do they complain about, and what do they request, you can pretty well figure out a person's language. Now you can also go online at fivelovelanguages.com, the number five, fivelovelanguages.com. There's a free quiz there for married couples, a free quiz for single adults, a free quiz for teenagers. And you take that quiz, it'll give you your primary, your secondary, and then on down the line, those that are less important for you. And so... It's not that difficult to figure it, but here's where the attitude comes in. I had a man say to me, he said, Dr. Chapman, I read your book. My wife and I took the quiz, and her language is acts of service. But I'll tell you and her, she was standing right beside him, I'll tell you and her, if it's going to take my washing dishes and my vacuuming floors for her to feel love, she can forget that. And I said, that's your choice. Love is a choice. If you choose to live with a wife who has an empty love tank, that's your choice. I said, I prefer to live with a wife who has a full love tank. I've lived with both. Same woman, early years, empty love tank. Later years, full love tank. And I said, my wife's language is acts of service. I said, I do wash dishes. I do vacuum floors. I do take out the trash. And my wife tells me I'm the greatest husband in the world. And I said, I know that's hyperbole, but it feels good to me. Yeah, see, we're back to the attitude now. See, what I've given you is information. Now we have to choose the attitude. But if we're Christians, we've got that admonition, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And here's the other thing. You can love your spouse even if you've lost all the positive feelings. You've lost all the positive feelings. You have negative feelings. You can be honest with God. Romans 5, 5. The love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we can say to God, Lord, you know what I'm married to here, and you know how I feel about them and how, how, how hurt I am, but I know you love them. 
So I'm opening my heart and asking you to pour your love into my heart and let me be your agent for loving them. And you can love them even though you don't have feelings for them. But what happens is if you're speaking their language, they begin to feel love, and then love stimulates love. Remember, we love God because God first loved us. We didn't start it. He reached out to us. We just responded. So same principle is true in marriage and family life, okay? If you, at the, at the fivelovelanguages.com, you'll also discover uh, the other books related to this topic, Five Love Languages of Children for Parents, Five Love Languages of Teenagers for Parents, one for the teenager, a teen's guide to the love languages, uh, one for single adults, uh, one for blended families, one for adopted families, uh, right on down the line. There's probably a dozen different ver- dealing with different relationships, workplace relationships, special military edition, uh, and you'll find a lot of other help there. In fact, you find most of my books there if you want to go there and look at that. You can order them there. You can go to Amazon. But listen, let's keep growing. Marriages and family relationships are either growing or regressing. They never stand still. I hope because you came to church today, they're going to grow. I certainly hope my coming doesn't make your marriage worse. Okay? Hey, I know that this sermon blessed your heart. I hope it's been an encouragement to you to become more like Jesus. That's our heart and that's our prayer. He's the X on the treasure map. He is the topic of heaven. Everything is all about Jesus. And I want to encourage you, get up in the morning, spend time with him, pray, seek his heart, seek his face, and uh, see what he will do in your life. Before you go, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider being a truth partner. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, it reminds me of Aquila and Priscilla, who would who would help the Apostle Paul spread the message of truth. A couple, a married couple, uh, you know, would just invest to spread the message of truth to so many hurting people. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He is truth. And you can be a truth partner today by simply texting truth partner, one word, to 53555. If you haven't subscribed, subscribe to the channel, click that little bell for notifications. But thank you for your generosity. So many of you give online, you give throughout the week, all over the nation. And I just wanna say thank you so much. We're using this resource to continue to get this message of truth out to so many broken and hurting people. And uh, we wanna be a blessing to you. And so let us know how we can pray for you. You know, comment below. There's a lot of resources on uh, my website uh, that are available to you. But we want you to know how much we love you. Thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for being a truth partner. We'll see you back on the channel real soon.